Welcome to the Jazz Shapers podcast from Mishkondorea. What you're about to hear was originally broadcast on Jazz FM. However, the music has been cut due to rights issues. This is Jazz Shapers with Elliot Moss on Jazz FM. In partnership with Mishkondorea. It's business, but it's personal. Good morning. Welcome to Jazz Shapers. It's where the shapers of business join the shapers of jazz, soul and blues. My guest today, I'm really pleased to say, is Josh Wood, founder of Josh Wood Colour, the expert-led home hair colour system. Growing up in Barnsley during the miners' strike and high unemployment, Josh's upbringing influenced his work ethic. As he says, I think a working-class mentality was drilled into me there. Searching for something creative, Josh went to art college, but it was at his Saturday job sweeping floors at his local hair salon that he realised hairdressing might be the answer. Despite being told on a youth training scheme that a career in this field wasn't for him, Josh trained at the Vidal Sassoon salons in Leeds and London before working alongside Vidal himself in New York. After co-founding a salon in 1999 and 20 years as a celebrity colourist, including dyeing David Bowie's hair red for his Earthling album cover, Josh decided to open his own space with his partner Jonathan Davies before launching his disruptor brand, the Josh Wood Colour System in 2018, to bridge the gap between home treatment and the salon experience. Hello, how are you? I'm very good, and how are you? I'm all right, thank you. I mentioned Barnsley because a while ago I interviewed Marcus Waring, actually, and Marcus and I were talking about the North of England and other fine exports from the North. I mentioned in the beginning your working class, and you talked about it, your working class work ethic. Did you have to leave Barnsley? Was that always in your mind, even as a young kid, in terms of sort of seeking fame and fortune? Definitely wasn't seeking fame and fortune. I think there was a a need probably to be able to be me, to be better accepted. You know, um, being gay wasn't the easiest in in the early 80s, coming out of, you know, leaving school, so on and so forth. And I always felt that I wanted to somehow try to express myself through my work. And there just wasn't the platform in Barnsley, South Yorkshire, in, let's say, 1986, to be able to be maybe as avant-garde or as daring or to transform myself into who I wanted to become. And that sense of wanting to become who you were, did you feel that from a very young age in terms of expressing yourself? I don't mean your sexuality, I mean in terms of you being you and wanting to be creative. Was there a sense of, I want to invent stuff? No, not at all. It was a very fairly mundane primary school, state secondary school. Barnsley, you know, it was a bit rough around the edges in those days. I guess there was two things. I wanted to feel opportunity, and I didn't feel opportunity was at my fingertips in Barnsley. And I think the the early 80s, mid-80s, when I was, you know, leaving school, there was a real moment, you know, Sheffield had become such a muso city, you know, with the, the lead mill and there were new bands and the human league. And I guess I fell into understanding that being me, being creative visual, I needed to align more with those things than maybe more, you know, more traditional ways of education or starting work. And so those those first few hours or days in a hairdresser salon, was it like a, hold on a minute? This might just be home one day. Or again, was it not like that? Well, I was, you know, sweeping up hair. I mean, it was, there was no great creative skill in that. Yes. <laughs> no, but you were around, you were cl- yeah. closer to something which you would have considered creative. 
Yes. I mean, I was at art college, which wasn't creative at all, to be to be fair. It was uh, anything but. But um, I, I think it, it wasn't the first few hours. It took a while. I'd been there about a month, five, six weeks. And I just thought, I'm really comfortable here. It was much more the culture of salon, probably, at that stage, even than I hadn't considered being a hairdresser, let alone a colourist. I didn't even know colourists existed. So, yeah, it, for me, it felt much more about a, a personal fit than it did a creative fit at the beginning. I'm just going to jump to the end. We're in 2021 now, and here you are, a well-known person doing well, creating colours. You love red. Anyone that knows Josh Wood will know that red is his thing, and you're a bit of the, the master of that. Did you even think this was possible as you first entered into the profession? No, I mean, there was such naivety about working with clients to start with when I came from Barnsley to London and I was working in Sloan Street. And, you know, the first few days somebody said, oh, Mrs. So-and-so's hair's finished. Can you can you get her driver? I was like, screwdriver? I mean, I'd never heard of a driver. And And that naivety served me well, and I'm still very inquisitive. I think that keeps the creative mind really on point. And it's interesting because I pick apart everything that I do creatively to try to understand that process and improve the process. Somebody said to me recently, I mean, it's a fairly hackneyed saying, but I haven't come this far to only come this far. You know, I've very clearly got my eyes set on helping to redefine how people access hair colour. I know very well what it means to people, how, how it feeds into one's well-being. But yeah, the, the horizon for me feels very bright and I'm, I'm excited that I can apply the creativity to really re-engineering something that feels quite old and dusty. Creativity in general for you, Josh, and you articulated it really well immediately, it sounds like you could have gone off in a number of different directions actually with that attitude because it strikes me you're a very creative person. What is it about colour that appeals all these years later? I mean, I think the the appeal, you know, sat here today is in some ways the actually the starting point of why I chose to be a colourist in the first place. I mean, there was I wasn't good at styling. I was really rubbish. So that would have been an uphill creative process for anybody. But um, there weren't many men colouring hair. There weren't many colourists as a whole. So I, I understood that, you know, it was niche at that particular point. Jump forward nearly 30 years, you know, there's really, really good up and coming and young colorists. But this idea that it gave me the ability to slightly have a bigger voice and a bigger platform was appealing very early on. And it's today training younger people. I can see that hairdressing as a whole, because in some ways it was always the career that one did if you didn't take further education it can really appeal to people that want to learn in a very different way. And I think I was one of those people. And learning in different ways is one thing, but it also makes me think about an artist who's kind of got a style in a way, but then will go to the studio and new things will emerge. They'll experiment and they'll go, well, hold on a minute. If that red there was mixed with that palette there, I wonder. You're essentially creating, but obviously there are these people there called clients so how do you manage the balance between what's in Josh Wood's head and what you think is right for the person sitting there in front of you well I learned very early on sometimes what's inside Josh Wood's head is not deserving of being on somebody else's head um, <laughs> yeah it's interesting color is my medium you know that's that you know hair is the fabric or the canvas 
color is the medium that I choose to work with. But it's much more about how one views a career. You know, when I'm in the salon, I guess I'm filtering out the work that I've done on the catwalks or in photo shoots or on, um, you know, well-known people. The salon work for me is much more about being in touch with a community of people that are coloring their hair very regularly and learning what makes it easier, what they want, where where I can influence that. But there's another part of my career, you know, working in the film industry or fashion, that's total fantasy. I mean, we're often talking about a human being, man or woman, that doesn't exist. We're creating a character. And, you know, that is incredibly gratifying if you are creative, because it gives you the, you're creating on somebody that is never going to give you any feedback. So it's a way really of real um, self-expression. Stay with me for Josh Wood. He'll be back in a couple of minutes. And if you hadn't thought about the world of colour and the world of fantasy on the one side and reality on the other, well, now you may be excited, nay, titillated by the idea of actually becoming a colourist. And not that I want them to, Josh. Obviously, we want you to remain at the top of your game. And just in case anyone's listening, don't get any funny ideas. Stay with me for much more from Josh. But right now, we're going to hear a taster from the Michigan Academy digital sessions. They can be found on all of the major podcast platforms. Michigan Dorea, Susie Sendama and Emily Dorotheo talk about how fashion brands can be more sustainable while maintaining profitability and what consumers should be doing to support sustainable fashion. The Mishcon Academy Digital Sessions. Conversations on the legal topics affecting businesses and individuals today. The cynics amongst us will say that sustainable is sort of plastered on anything that attempts to be environmentally friendly and that's whether it just uses a bit of organic cotton or whether the brands have taken some steps to improve their carbon footprint, for example. Or like you say, they'll use vegan leather or pineapple leather. Um, I think truly sustainable clothes and truly sustainable fashion has to be ingrained from every decision that's made in the supply chain. So right from the design of a product where you might be thinking about circular economy so already thinking about how that product will be used at the end of its life right through to every step of of how that product is made and looking to to have a more sustainable impact and now some brands are attempting to improve their sustainability profile and some have created uh, sustainable capital collections so for example on this high street you might see some swimwear that's manufactured from recycled fishing nets for example some luxury brands are also are doing a capsule collection that's sustainable. You have some other luxury brands that have decided they're not going to be slaves anymore to the fashion calendar and make four or six collections a year. So I think there's definitely a lot that brands can do other than just saying that their stuff is sustainable. The Mishcon Academy Digital Sessions. To access advice for businesses that is regularly updated, please visit mishcon.com. Jazz Shapers on Jazz FM. In partnership with Mishkondorea. It's business, but it's personal. You can enjoy all our former Jazz Shapers and hear this very program again with Josh on the Jazz Shapers podcast. Or if you have a smart speaker, you can ask it to play Jazz Shapers. You know the drill. And there you'll find many of our recent shows going all the way back, if you want to, I believe, to around 2012. So they're the less recent ones, but they're all good too. But back to today and Josh Wood. He's the founder of Josh Wood Colour, the expert-led home hair colour system. You touched on the world of fantasy and you touched on the world of creation and being less constrained in a way by reality and a person saying, no, Josh, I just really need a little bit of a lift here and there's a little bit of grey on the scalp. It, you know, not that that's not important because it is, and we'll come on to well-being as well. I mentioned David Bowie and there's a lot of other famous people 
you said already it wasn't about you seeking fame and fortune. I've read about you saying I'm not, you know, fame doesn't impress me. It's just I get on with my job. But what was it like working with someone who was possibly one of the best musicians ever? What was he like as a human being? I mean, my, I have to say, I've, I've got to hold my hands up. My um, knowledge of music history is pretty poor. As I say, the work ethic didn't give me a lot of time to be uh, getting involved in anything other than learning how to be a good colorist. I didn't really know David's music very well. Of course, I knew, you know, the big hits. I didn't really understand how influential he was. My birth into the music world in a way being in Barnsley in the 80s I slightly missed it somehow I mean I know that's sacrilege to some people you know I met him via other people that I was working with I worked with him for a long period of time he became a very good friend people often talk about this period for me it really felt like collaboration he asked questions that he was genuinely interested in my opinion and answers and that was, in a way, how we could move on his personal image to match either the art that he was creating at the time. He was, you know, he was a, a prolific painter. And certainly some of the two or three of the albums that I worked on with him. But it was really Earthlings where he was living back in London. That was very important for him. He'd met designers like Alexander McQueen that were helping him with his his stage costumes. And it was at that moment where he wanted to be a lot more self-expressive, really, with his hair colour. And that's, in a way, why we ended up with that kind of very, very bold, hyper-red that had a nod to, to Ziggy, but it, it felt much more 90s, I guess, because it was much brighter and, and much more vivid than a colour one would have been able to create in the in the late 60s, 70s. That point you made about he asked questions, he wanted your opinion. Is that one of your mantras as well? If you're going to talk to people and you're going to ask them questions, do you surround yourself with people whose answers you value? Well, in business, I mean, you've got to remember, you know, I left school with about one and three quarter GCSEs or whatever they were. There was no great learning experience for me in formal education. And I, I, I've learned, you know, yeah, it's a really, really good point. Actually, it makes me think Um in the organization today where I am really not skilled or able to add value, I hire people that can. So I guess in a way that is listening. Um, yeah. My job on a day-to-day -day basis, it's a listening job. I'm, I'm filtering what people are telling me about how they want to look and how they want to be perceived by the outside world. And, and that can be just, you know, it can be a, a, somebody that I've worked with over a long period of time, or it can be creating a character for an album cover or a magazine shoot so the really key to success for me in, in the creative world and probably I take that over into into my business world is this true need to co-create and that takes listening skills and responsive skills and 10 years ago when you set up your own salon is that exactly what was going on is that what you managed to pull off at that time I find opening salons really easy. You know, I, I think I'm quite connected culturally into large cities, new restaurants, new music venues, theatre, dance. So actually, I always find opening a, a hairdressing salon an extension of what people are experiencing in wider culture. Finding great talent to work with, people that have got a similar vision, that maybe want to do it differently, take a bit of a risk, that's more difficult. 
but yeah, I mean, I I don't view opening a salon anywhere near as challenging as I do running a brand or a, a business that's making a physical product. You talked about the physical, a salon easy, tick, uh, physical brand, not so easy. You, you launched yours in 2018. One of the few people to know that 18 months later, the number of people needing to dye their own hair at home would go up by 3,000%. Well done on that. Probably the only person on the planet who knew that that was going to happen. Why was it harder, Josh? A person like you connected to the zeitgeist, person like you understands what people need. Why is a physical product, 33 variants of colour and so on, why is that more tricky? Business in that sphere and world it needs exactly the same applications that it does whether you're making automobiles or packing carrots you know it's operations it's the model it's the structure of the business it's the culture of the business I'm really really dyslexic with numbers maths is not my strong point so I've always always you know in the early days I hired the best bookkeeper that I could get or you know, the best head of finance that I could get, the best accountants that I could afford. And in the business today, it's challenging on so many levels, and as I'm sure a lot of listeners know, trying to, you know, manage and motivate and and move a business and a team forward. I'm learning to find that equally as creative, but it doesn't, that's not the kind of creativity that comes naturally to me. It takes me quite a long time to absorb I'm going to really take in the information and process it well. But I, I love growth. I love innovation. I love inspiration. I like people. I like making people feel good. And those are the principles today that are at the center of our business, which is we only make products that our clients or customers tell us they want to make a difference to them. We started in 2018. in a D2, we, you know, I launched a D2C model and with a high street partner Boots. But it was the D2C offer that was exciting for me. And I didn't know we were going to be in a in a world where you couldn't access basic things that you felt like were being taken away from you, like hair colour. Yeah. It feels like there's a tension for me, just looking at you, and obviously we don't know each other, I've just met you, it, between the incredibly instinctive, creative, spontaneous Josh, who you give him a challenge or you give him a room to breathe and he creates in fantasy, a world that doesn't exist. You give him a client who's difficult, he'll manage them. That spontaneity there with the, the desire and almost the the desire for the security of the substance of something, it looks like you're a proper student, that you really want to know something and you're, and you're very humble because you are at the top of your game. And, you know, I was, I was reading about you and you're uh, including the Evening Standards Progress 1000, you know, in terms of being most influential and you've got all these awards that you've won. And yet here you are saying, well, you know, I'm not great with numbers and I, and I really want to get on the skin of it. That sense of substance and importance of substance to you, where is that from? I think it's coming from a very, very humble background you know, council flats in Barnsley, Yorkshire wasn't the greatest start in life. And believe you me, I'm not going back there. I mean, not not back to Barnsley. I love going back to Barnsley, but I'm not going back to the feeling that there was fewer choices and not the ability to, you know, grow and add value. There is a tension. And I think I think what I've learned is really great businesses that do things differently. There has to be a tension because we've got a product that people really want. That's, that's expertly formulated, that I've worked really hard with the technicians and the chemists to make that product. 
what I've got to do now is understand how to tell people about that and how to market that product and where to put it and how to put it and getting it from A to B. There's operational challenges. They are something that I've got an amazing team around me that help me deliver all of those propositions. But I guess I want to democratize my expertise and what I've learned. I really believe that anybody anywhere should be able to access really good quality advice about what's the best thing for their hair and their hair color. And I'm able to do that through our digital platform. Stay with me for my final chat with my very honest business shaper, Josh Wood. We've also got our daily dose of jazz funk R&B fusion from the Blackbirds. That's all coming up, so don't go anywhere. Jazz Shapers on Jazz FM. In partnership with Mishkondorea. It's business, but it's personal. Josh Wood is my business shaper just for a few more minutes. You touched on something about, or maybe I've read it, you want people to feel good. And actually, it may sound superficial, but a person's hair and the way it looks and the style of it and the color of it. And we all experience this. We're on a spectrum of it matters. It doesn't matter. There's, you know, I care. My wife cares a lot more. That sense of well-being is, it feels like that's a very big place to be. And obviously in the, through this lockdown, it's been a critical part of, of literally people's sanity. Has the game changed? Have the stakes got higher? Or are you just carrying on doing what you were doing before this, this lockdown happened? Uh, the stakes have always been the same. People's hair colour, I'm a colourist, so I, f- I feel qualified to talk about you know the emotional relationship one has with one's hair colour, is vital to people's well-being and how they feel about themselves. I mean, you get a bad hairstyle or a bad haircut, you wash it, it's, you know, yeah, I mean, you may be unhappy with it. But, you know, generally most people have a hair colour disaster story and it's something that they feel quite often scarred by. And again, you know, people really identify themselves by their hair colour. You know, somebody that's a bright blonde, if she walked into a room or he walked into a room and said, oh, yeah, that person with you know, mousy blonde hair, that'd be the, that's disaster for somebody's self-esteem. So I've always known that the stakes are very high where hair colour's concerned. It really can help somebody to unlock the best version of themselves. And that's why, in a way, the business that we're in is high risk, because, you know, you've got to get it right. When we don't get it right, it matters personally to me that we haven't got it right. The great thing I learned about hair colour very early on you can fix virtually anything. You know, if you cut somebody's hair two inches too short, short of putting hair extensions in and making it longer, you can't add hair on. But, you know, you make somebody too dark or too light or too green or too red. Or There's a way to fix it. There's a way to soften it. So it's high stakes. It's vital to the way people feel about themselves. But it's there's also a way that you can with expert knowledge, really make somebody feel the best version of themselves. And I have to say, when you have that aha moment, that reveal moment when you've coloured somebody's hair and it's like, it's wow, that feeling's infectious. Is that the best feeling for you? Because is is that the moment you're at your happiest versus when you've cracked another colour for the products or when you uh, are on a set, whether it's a fashion show or something, is is it for you personally, Josh, is it when you see the smile on the client's face still after all these years? It's all one and the same, Alex. I mean, it, you know, whether you are on a photo shoot and you think, wow, I've, I've created that or it's a film set or 
it's a, a trust pilot review from somebody that's you know been coloring their hair out of salon or it's somebody that I've tended myself. When somebody feels good about themselves, it's in, you feel it, it's infectious. It's, it's life-enhancing for the person that's received that treatment and the person that's been able to deliver that, whether that is a product that you've bought from our D2C, whether it's a model on a shoot, an actress on a red carpet, or somebody sat in my chair. It's been really nice talking to you. Thank you for your time. Thank you for schooling me in where colour sits in the great thing that we call culture. It's been brilliant. Just before I let you go, what's your song choice and why have you chosen it? Anne Peebles. She absolutely embodied for me a a time where it must have been incredibly difficult for women in the music industry. And her career has spanned such a long period of time and and it's, it's creative and diverse for me. She was only invited into the Memphis Music Hall of Fame in, in 2012. She's been sampled by Missy Elliott and Wu-Tang Clan. What's better than that? I Can't Stand the Rain. Anne Peebles there with I Can't Stand the Rain, the song choice of my business shape today, Josh Wood. He talked about leaving Barnsley because he wanted to feel the opportunity and he wasn't feeling it then back in the 80s for him. He talked about the words of advice that he received early on. I haven't come this far just to come this far. And really nicely, he talked about wanting to democratise his expertise and literally put it in a bottle and on a video consultation. What could be better than that? That's it from me and Jazz Shapers. Have a lovely weekend. Jazz Shapers on Jazz FM. In partnership with Mishkondorea. It's business, but it's personal. We hope you enjoy that edition of Jazz Shapers. You'll find hundreds more guests available for you to listen to in our archive. To find out more, just search Jazz Shapers in iTunes or your favourite podcast platform or head over to mishcon.com forward slash jazz shapers.